0: we make the transition from the year 2018 to the year 2019, I want to speak on a particular theme which I began last Sunday. It is the theme of incarnation. Uh, you may be thinking incarnation is related to the Christmas season and the Christmas season is over now, so why are you going to continue to talk about incarnation? What many people do not realize is that what happened on that Christmas season, the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ is meant for all year round and all throughout history of humanity. So you might say it should be Christmas every day. We should always keep that in our heart and mind that Christ is relevant to us and his incarnation is relevant to us every single moment of our lives. I have no problem preaching about incarnation for three, four messages, perhaps even for an entire year. I have chosen for the text for this short series from John chapter 1. In verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verses 10 and 11, I would just take the excerpt and say, He was in the world, He came to that which was His own. And then in verse 14, he says, And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. So what is it about the Incarnation? Why is this so significant for us Christians? Just as a way of reviewing what I preached last Sunday, I would like to say three things about incarnation of Christ. First of all, incarnation means that God entered into our world. Christmas in English is oftentimes known as Advent, which means coming. It simply means that God came into our world. All throughout the biblical history, we see God coming into the world. In the Old Testament times, God came in various different forms known as theophanies or appearances. In the New Testament days and onward, God continues to come by the Holy Spirit. You may have heard of revival movements or renewal movements. Movements, that has to do with the Holy Spirit. But some 2,000 years ago, God literally came into this world in a physical and a personal way through Jesus Christ's incarnation. In other words, God entered into our human reality historically, culturally, and physically. You see, God created the whole world, but he doesn't want to just deal with the world in an impersonal way. He wants to be in touch with the world that he had created. He wants to penetrate into the depth of the world that he had created. So God continues to come into our world, penetrating into our world, getting involved into the affairs of the history of the world. But God does not want to just come and visit and leave. He wants to permanently dwell in... In our world. Incarnation has not to do with visitation as we see in the Old Testament days. It has to do with habitation or indwelling of God. Second thing I want to emphasize is the fact that God became a human being. A lot of people think incarnation has to do with God switching his form into a human form. In other words, God transforming into a human being. And that's not true. He never actually transformed into a human being. He simply took on the human being. He was still God. But now he's taking on another nature, human nature. This cannot happen. This is not possible. But God can do anything. And he decided, I'm going to have it my way, and I'm going to be both God and man at the same time. Not half God and half man, but fully God, 100% God and 100% man. And theologians and philosophers have been struggling over this whole issue. How could that be possible? It's a mystery, and it must be embraced by faith. Third thing about the incarnation that I want to emphasize is the fact that God was born as a baby. You may be asking, why didn't God just show up as a fully grown human being? Why couldn't he just appear like a Superman from another galaxy? Or like the Terminator who suddenly appears naked, In the middle of the society. But see, God wanted to make the incarnation of his son so real and genuine that he would partake and participate in the process of human growth. You see, Jesus came to experience all that is of human life, the whole entire process. That's why he had to born, he had to grow physically, psychologically, and socially, and all the way to death. Only then can we say that Jesus was genuinely human being through and through, even though he is yeah. God. It is interesting that in Jesus' days, the lifespan of a human being was only about 40 years. So if he died at the age of 33, then he lived a pretty lengthy life. That would be equivalent to something about mid-60s today. A long time ago, I wasn't quite aware of this, so I kept on thinking Jesus only lived short 33 years of life so how can you understand middle-aged man or how can you understand elderly people but relatively speaking jesus lived a pretty lengthy life in those days that's why when jesus died on the cross he said it is finished or i fulfilled it all he wasn't just talking about uh, paying the debt for our sins he was saying i've also lived the life to the fullest because jesus has to really embrace all of that of humanity and take it to the cross and nail it on the cross. Now, these three emphases that I just made have to do with the significance of the incarnation. Now, I want to talk about the purpose of the incarnation. Why did it come? Why did it come in a human form? Why was it born like a little baby and he had to experience all that is of humanity? I think first of all, he came to identify with us. It is with identification. He wanted clearly to communicate to us, I am one with you. I understand your situation. I empathize with what you're going through. Hebrews chapter four, verse 15, there's this statement. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet he did not sin so what this statement is indicating to us is that Jesus Christ came to identify with all our human experiences from birth to developmental to process all that is of struggle and suffering and trials and even death In other words, he's able to empathize with us because he went through them all. He struggled through them all and he knows how we feel. I know maybe uh, some of you ladies might be saying, but he came as a man. So how can he understand what a woman is going through? But I'm sure you know by now that the psychologists are telling us that even men have the womanly side to them and women have the manly side to them as well. So you cannot say that Jesus cannot empathize with women. He did not go through the typical things that women went through, but he did emphasize. That's the mystery. Some people might say, well, Jesus was a single person, so how can he understand what the married uh, person is going through? I mean, the reverse may be true. If Jesus got married, then the single ones of us will say, how can he empathize, empathize with those single Ones like us. Let me tell you, Jesus, when he came, he had to come in a limited form, in the bodily form. And he can't be everything to everyone in that form. But let me tell you. His psychology and his emotional makeup is is that he is sensitive enough to pick up on all of that. Truly empathize empathize with us. Think of Jesus like the missionary from heaven. And a good missionary knows how to enter into the culture the context or the reality of the people that they want to reach out to. That's why a good missionary will learn the languages of the people, the history of the people, eat their food, dress up the way they dress, and operate the way they would operate. And some missionaries, if they could have their way, they would like to go under the skin of those people that they want to reach out. They can't do that. So the best they can do is they can try on their shoes and try to understand what The natives are going through. But Jesus did more than that. He did not just visit our culture. He did not just come try to understand our culture. He became our culture. He became our flesh. He became our humanity. So he was basically God in the flesh, if that is possible. So to see his face is to see the human face of God. How this could be possible But the Bible and the history clearly tells us that this became a reality. He tells us more about his heart, his heart's desire to be like one of us. He wants to be human like us. He wants to experience all the things that we experience. That's why he had to go through that childhood and the entire developmental process. Yeah. To speak our words, our languages. He wants to speak with that emotional uh, feelings. He's not interested in telepathy and some kind of mystical communication. He wants to communicate through Touch and feelings and words and direct encounters. But he didn't want to just identify with us. He wanted to unite himself with us. He didn't just come in the flesh to say, I want to see how it feels like to be a human being. The real purpose in him becoming a human body is so that he can be united with us. The union is only possible between two uh, natures of the same kind. That's why we use the language of union for husband and wife. And we think, wow, we came up with this idea and Jesus and Paul picks up on this idea and calls us the bride of Christ. But I think it's the reverse is the truth. The reason why we have husbands and wives and the the ordinance of marriage is because God wanted to show us that this is what the relationship between Jesus Christ and us as the church is all about. Of course, it is a a mystical concept. It is very difficult to explain because I'm me. My wife is her. How can we be one? Yeah. Let me tell you, after 28 years of marriage, it really becomes almost literal. Yeah. I can think her thoughts or pick up on her thoughts. And She's I can't even yeah. feel like when she gets hurt, uh, it hurts me. And I try to really understand philosophically who she is. And I cannot see myself apart from my wife. Truly mystical, but it is real. But more than that, Apostle Paul says we are the body of Christ, and that body of Christ concept cannot be possible unless Jesus also came in the bodily form. How can I say that I am the body of God if God was not incarnated? And that's why Apostle Paul talks about the intimate relationship between the head and the body, it has to be attached together for it to be holistic unity. Let me tell you, God in his nature, in his essence, doesn't need anything. He can be by himself in the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But when the second person of the Trinity, God's Son, Jesus Christ, came down here on earth and became a human being, now that is irrelevant and meaningless unless he is one with us. Because he will simply be a groom without a bride. He will simply be a head without the body. Then we have to ask the whole question why did he become a human being in the first place? You see, we have to be convicted that when God decided to become a human being, he wanted so much to be identified with us, but also to be one with us. After incarnation happened, God cannot think any other way than think of us as one with him. When I was a single man, I I saw myself as a single man without even a woman. I was even thinking about living a life of celibacy. But when Esther came along and I fell in love with her and we committed ourselves to marriage and we became one, Now, after all these years, I cannot possibly imagine myself as a single person. I never once thought about it. Maybe she might think of it occasionally, like, what it would be like to be single again. But I never, ever even thought about it. I don't even want to think about it. Not because marriage is so fun and easy and so uh, exhilarating and ecstatic. Not because marriage is so great all the time. No. No, because... Simply because I've embraced my sense of identity being united with my wife. And when we had our children, Sarah, Michelle, and Anna, I cannot see myself, possibly understand myself apart from them. I will always be related to them all throughout this life. And maybe perhaps even in heaven in some kind of relationship with them. I mean, what use is it if it's just for a temporary moment, raise them up and send them away? Why bother? Because this relationship is for... Uh, entire life and perhaps even into eternity that's why they're precious or think about it God himself committing himself to us how can he think of himself apart from us anymore there's a saying in John chapter fifteen, five that is very graphic if you can really try to imagine what that's like Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He's trying to uh, communicate to us about intimacy that happens between him and us, the fellowship or communion that happens. That's why we get the word koinonia. And if you know anything about uh, crops or trees or anything that is organic, you know that you don't just glue the branches to the side of the vine and hope that it will bear fruit. You see, the branches grafted into the vine so that now it is, it is part of that vine. The vine cannot produce fruit apart from the branches. And the vine or the tree is meaningless apart from the branches and the fruit that it produces. What Jesus is saying is, you definitely need me, but I also need you. Because we are united for life and into all eternity. This concept of the union with Christ is so important to me. I think it is my central theology in my heart. And union with Christ is impossible apart from the fact that he became human being like us. Because I cannot be united to God. He is in essence so different from me so far that we, we cannot possibly be united. I could only be united with human beings. And that's why Jesus became a human being. So that we can finally be united with him. Before we talk about union with Christ, we got to talk about one other thing that's very important, especially in this fallen world. He came to redeem us. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be the servant, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We know how important the cross was, do we not? Because if God did not come in the human form, there would be no cross. And if there's no cross, there's no paying for the penalty of our sins that means because of our sins we are damned to hell but somebody wanted to substitute himself on our behalf and that was Jesus Christ on the cross but unless he became a human being there would be no cross because cross means nailing somebody's flesh on the cross but what most people do not understand is that it was not just him being nailed to the cross that causes redemption to happen. What most people do not understand is actually there are two conditions to our redemption or salvation. Somebody has to die on the cross on our behalf and pay the penalty for our sins. But that somebody has to also live his life righteously to become that perfect sacrificial type Die on the cross for us. I mean, for example, Daniel Kim may say, I have a heart for the whole world and I want to give my life for the whole world. And I may say, Crucify me, I will die for the whole world. But he will not have the effectivity of saving the world because I am a sinful man. I have not lived my life all righteously. What makes Jesus' death on the cross so costly and so precious is because he lived a perfect life and therefore he was a perfect Lamb of God without any blemish that he can become perfect sacrifice on the cross for us. So most people say, wow, look at Jesus hanging on the cross, suffering for me, that's all for me. But how many of us got so excited about Jesus being born and becoming a little child? Jesus, he's living the perfect life without a single sin. Perfect life, that phase perfectly, perfect, perfect, perfect. And get all excited because if he failed, He would not be that sacrifice on the cross for me. That's why His entire incarnated life is important. Because the way He lived it, even from His childhood onward, without single sin, perfect morality, perfect relationship, perfect uh, allegiance to God, perfect obedience, perfect, perfect, perfect. And therefore, at the end, God says, you're qualified now to die for the sins of all humanity. So we must thank Jesus, not only for the cross, We must thank him for his entire life. I thank you for the fact that you were born. I thank you that you lived your life as a child perfectly. I thank you for those years as a carpenter working so faithfully. I thank you for all those many years. You've done everything perfectly. So that's why I think of incarnation is the central theology along with union with Christ. And the final purpose of incarnation that I want to talk about, especially next week, as we begin the new year, is the fact that he came to be an example for us. He came to identify with us. He came to be with us. He wanted to be united with us. He came to save us. But at the same time, he wanted to be a role model for us. John chapter 13, verse 15, Jesus says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Being saved by the grace of the cross, being saved because of Jesus' perfect righteousness is one thing. But how we live our life is another matter. And we have so much life to live. How are we going to live it? Again, it has to do with the modeling of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ becomes our model. So you see, through the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God identifies himself with all aspects and dimensions of human life. The Christmas title, Emmanuel, which means God with us, has such a deep significance he is with us because he is present with us everywhere. He is with us because he has given us the Holy Spirit as a gift who resides in us and who will help us and guide us all throughout our life. But he is with us in the literal sense of being united with Jesus Christ and becoming one flesh with him. Therefore, if our life is based upon this principle of Emmanuel, God with me, that is, Jesus is united with me. The Holy Spirit is living inside of me. God is present everywhere about me. How can we lose? How can we be defeated? How can we be sorrowful? How can we be uh, uh, miserable? But if our eyes begin to open and our spirits awaken to this reality, I tell you, we have everything in Christ. All Types of turmoils and problems and issues and chaos that may come at us, we have the power to break through and endure because God is with us. Simply put, you and I, we are not alone. We are not left to our own resources. We are one with Christ. He's attached to us and we are attached to Him. So we must act and operate according to this reality. And this is what I want to talk about next Sunday. As I continue the series in the Gospel of John, that's what I want to talk about all throughout. So that you and I, we would never, ever doubt Him. When He says, I am with you, I have not forsaken you, I will help you, I will strengthen you, I will guide you, I will cause you to make through in this life. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, do not be disappointed, do not be in despair, because I am with you, says the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. For the truth and the reality of the incarnation of your son, Jesus Christ. This is not just a historical happening. But this is something that causes everything in this world to change. Especially humanity and especially us. That it is existential. that is our entire identity and our way of looking at things will change. Because we are no more alone. Jesus, you are with us. We are in the state of union with you and you have given us your Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us. That means we have everything we could possibly need to make things happen, make things work out and to endure through all kinds of sufferings and trials in this life. Therefore, if we have you, who could possibly be against us? Help us to know this truth and be set free by this truth, O Lord.